Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman, coming back at you once again with another episode. On this episode of the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, I'm going to bring the author of JudoFan.com, Kiyoshi, and we're going to start off discussing the Abe versus Maruyama winner-take-all match because, look, I, I, I hate, you know, overemphasizing things and I just think that this match is going to be one of the biggest non-world championship final, non-Olympic final matches in recent memory. And I will say this, if you like watching competitive judo, you're going to have to check out this match because this this is for the spot on the Japanese national team uh, under 66 kilo spot for the Olympic team. So Kiyoshi is going to come on a, a little bit later after my intro to discuss this and also uh, discuss um, Japanese culture, training judo in Japan, you know, what what that is like and and, and how certain things work in Japan, things like things that I just didn't know because I've never been over there. I'm also going to discuss some recent news regarding the uh, United States Judo Association. I'm going to also talk some international news with regards to an update on the Doha Masters that's supposed to take place in January of 2021. And I'm going to just briefly touch on the Pan Ams and the European Championships. I also want you guys to be aware that this is going to be a pretty long episode. So just be prepared for that. I'm also going to have an after party. But before I get into bringing Kiyoshi on for the interview, I must talk about this. This episode is going to mark the four-year anniversary of the Judo Chop Suey podcast. And, And first and foremost, I want to thank... Each and every one of you who listen regularly, and, and some of you who just just check it out every once in a while, I appreciate you as a listener. I really do. When I set out to start this podcast uh, four years ago, I did not think that it would have the kind of popularity and and growth that it has. And I think the thing that surprises me the most is that when you actually look at all the countries where this podcast is really popular in, which is largely English-speaking countries. Uh, I, I would say 55 to 60% of my audience uh, lives in the United States, but but everybody else is from other places, largely Canada and, and the UK and Australia. But I do have a lot of listeners, including my guest coming up, Kiyoshi, who's from who lives in Japan. Uh, I do have listeners in other areas, but those are the primary ones. So for me, when you look at the large, you know, when you look at the populations of or, or the judo populations of those four uh, major English speaking countries. And then when I compare that, when I eliminate, when you look at the judo populations, eliminate the kids that, you know, kids don't typically listen to podcasts and you just try and account for the adults only. I've got a pretty large share of that as my audience. I mean, large to me anyway, especially in the United States. Now, I know I'm not the first judo podcast ever, but when I started this thing, there was there were no active judo podcasts. 
So I detri- I decided to, to, to fill the space with really terrible shows. I mean, in, in hindsight, when I look at that original stuff, I, I'm not proud of my work. I mean, I assure you, I did the very best. I put the be- very best show that I could. Uh, but I was a rookie, uh, and I think I made a lot of mistakes. I think I came across poorly to a lot of people because at the time, I simply didn't believe people would actually listen to this thing, and I certainly didn't believe people would listen to it outside of this country. So I just kind of I just kind of did my own thing. I, I, I had a vision for a show that I wanted to have, and I still think in terms of the podcast space, I do something that's different. I have a different approach. I interact with the listeners in a in, in a different and unique way, and I and that I'm proud of. And and I know when when I started, there were no judo podcasts, um, and then the original judo podcast, which is an excellent one, came about maybe about a week or two later, just just a coincidence. Um, but for that space, there really hasn't been much anything else. The judo edit came out, you know, maybe about a year after that or so. But in 2020. There's been an explosion of Judah-related content and podcasts, and they're all very good. But I I like to think that I offer you guys something a little different. And I also like to think that I've played a small part in getting people to realize that this is a medium that can and should be used to help with the growth of your dojo and to help with the growth of Judah as a whole, to get people talking about it and get people excited about it. And, and I think that's the, the, the one thing that I'm really... Well, the, the thing I'm most proud of is that through this podcast, I've managed to get people to actually start trying judo just because they heard me talk. And a quick note to the podcasters out there, the judo podcasters, that I know listen to me even if you guys don't admit it. <laughs> I think I have also proven that one can have a professional uh, podcast. I mean, like I said... This podcast makes me a little bit of money. Sure, it's not a whole lot. Maybe I can take my, you know, my wife out to Chili's or something. But, but it does make me a little bit of cash on the side. Just, just a little bit, a teeny bit, and it's possible. You, you know, the average podcast out there has two hundred listeners, and I'm way beyond that. So yeah, so I'm proud of what I've done. I, I really am. I'm, I'm genuinely proud of that. And I would just like to thank, again, all of you, the listeners. And I would also like to thank all of the guests that I have had over the past four years. Uh, you guys have uh, have have improved this podcast just, just by you being on and talking judo with me. It's... it's uh, I know everybody that has been on the podcast will hear this eventually, and I just I'm I'm so grateful for for you all. Really, I really am. The listeners, the my my former guests, people that I will continue to bring on, including my guest today, Kiyoshi of JudoFan.com. You know, and and speaking of that, enough about this. Just again, one more time, thank you all very much. It's time for me to bring on my guest, Kiyoshi. He is the author of JudoFan.com, and he had reached out to me. A few weeks ago, uh, bringing up this idea to come on to talk about uh, judo in Japan and to talk about this Abe versus Maruyama match, and I, I loved, I loved the idea. And, and by the way, for you, for those of you out there, if you have any interest on coming onto the podcast, feel free to reach out to me at judochopsuishow at gmail I typically don't reach out to people for interviews. Because oftentimes they are very difficult to coordinate. 
And then I really don't know if you really have an interest. I, I don't deal with rejection very well. <laughs> Just kidding. No, but, but you know, I want people to come on the podcast that want to be on the podcast. So if you're interested, feel free to reach out to me. But uh, regardless of all that, I'd like to bring on Kiyoshi. Kiyoshi, welcome to the Judo Chop Suey podcast. How you doing? Oh, pretty good. Thanks for having me on. I uh, enjoy listening to your podcast when I have the chance. I, I really appreciate that. I, you know, I'm curious, how did you hear about the podcast? Because you, I think you are probably the only uh, listener from Japan of the podcast. How, how did you come across it? Yeah, that's a good question. I it, it had to have been either uh, Reddit, the judo, uh, the judo subthread on Reddit, or uh, I possibly found you on Twitter. One of the two. Gotcha. <laughs> Can't remember though. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I I'm always curious where you know where people from other countries hear the podcast. Are there um are there Japanese judo podcasts? Um, you know, in, in Japanese language, I, I've always wondered, I, I found one many years ago, but I don't know if there's others that you listen to regularly. No, I, as far as podcasts, uh, not that I listen to, I'm, I'm sure there are, um, a lot of the athletes have YouTube channels, especially recently because of, you know, the COVID-19, uh, you know, uh, everybody's staying at home. Um, so there's quite a lot of, uh, YouTube channels started by athletes, um, as far as podcasts, I, I don't know that Japan is as, um, I don't know if J Japan in general has as many listeners as, as maybe they do in, in Europe or the United States. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know what, it, yeah, like, like I said, I, I know in the United States podcasting is a very big thing. There's, there's a lot of podcasts and certainly in, in, in other English speaking countries, but I don't really have a pulse on what that is like in, in other places. Now you, uh, you brought up COVID. How, how are things for you? How's your family? Um, how is life in Japan during the COVID uh, pandemic? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, I'm fortunately living kind of out in the countryside. So it's a, it's a bit different from, how it is probably in, in Tokyo or Osaka or one of the bigger cities, but uh, I'm appreciative. I, I feel like Japanese people are very conscientious about uh, sanitation, hygiene, and uh, making sure to go outside wearing masks. Um, the judo, um, the judo teams have had a kind of a difficult time just because it's such a close contact sport. Um, and then uh, a few of the kind of um, big judo teams. Uh, well, the the main one was the N N Nippon Sports Science University, uh, Nittaide, which is uh, Abe Hifumi's um, university, um, as well as uh, his sister's university. They had a they had an outbreak of COVID in the in the dojo, as well as at the Kodokan. So I think you know people in the judo community are are particularly trying to be careful about uh, not spreading the virus. Of course. Now, do you know if, if people are actively training over in Japan? Yeah. The, uh, so a lot of their, they've started having competitions again um, without audiences. Um, but a lot of the high schools um, have resumed having uh, competitions. And I would say that a lot of the, 
um, universities have gone back to um, having, you know, regular judo training. Um, the police departments are under a lot of, uh, it, they're in a real tough situation because um, they are not training regularly, though some of their athletes are, you know, on the national team or, or close, close to a national level. And so they're not able to really train like, uh, you know, universities or some of the uh, corporate teams are able to. Interesting. No, that, that, that's really interesting. So tell me a little bit about yourself and, and, and about your judo experience. Yeah. I'm, I'm really impressed. I, you know, I have a family uh, where many members of my family, English is a second language. So I'm used to talking with people that, that maybe English is a second language for them. So I, I never know what I'm going to get, but I must say your, your English is flawless. Was, was this your first <laughs> language or was Japanese your first language? Tell me a little bit about, you know, maybe where you, where you were born and, and you, you know, your experience and, and okay. we, I want to get into your blog as, as well. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm glad my English is good because it's my first language actually. It is. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I was born in the U.S. Um, my parents are uh, Japanese. And so I kind of well, grew up in, in two cultures, I guess. And uh, um, I came to Japan basically uh, for work. Um, and so I've, I've done judo for now uh, 30 two years, uh, 33 years. I started when I was six and um, I, I traveled to Japan several times uh, to train here. And uh, then I, um, I started coaching uh, seven years ago and I, I was the head coach of a small college team. Um, and then I've moved on and am now an assistant coach, no longer a head coach, but an assistant coach at a, at a university. That's fantastic. Um, really interesting stuff. Now, what about your blog, judofan.com? I, I know I've mentioned it on the podcast several times over, over the past four years. I'm coming up on my four-year anniversary. I, I can't oh, believe thanks that. a lot. Yeah. yeah. So I've mentioned it. it a couple of times. Tell me about judofan.com. I follow you on Twitter. I read your blog. I, so awesome. tell me about your motivations for starting judofan.com. Yeah, well, um, w one of the things was I was um, kind of in a unique situation. Um, I was, I am coaching in Japan. And so uh, I had access to a lot of information and experiences that I think uh, lots of maybe um, athletes don't get to experience overseas. And uh, actually, um, one of the kind of a random reason, but I was visiting the United States and uh, I don't really, I don't watch the Raiders much, but I was standing in line at a gas station and uh, some guy just uh, says randomly, how about the Raiders? And, you know, everybody <laughs> in line, everybody in line just started talking about the Raiders and, and uh, it must've been a Tuesday or something or a, a day after the, the game. I thought, man, th this is really cool. Like, I wish that, uh, you know, I'd be able to have discussions like this uh, about judo. And, you know, in Japan, um, I think just the culture is quite a bit different. Like, I, you know, um, it'd be hard for me to, you know, just start talking about judo with, uh, you know, random strangers and stuff. And so 
I, I thought I'd like to I'd like to start a blog about some of the stuff I've experienced over here. That yeah, that's really great. Your blog has been a source of information for me uh, with regards to subjects in Japan and 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 different athletes. And you you break down a lot of the big tournaments that that happen over there. And that and I've been like I told you I've been following for years. And and I I tell as many people that that'll listen about it. Oh, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, and I and I think what you're doing is really important work because it, there's uh, so many other sports have you know a large following of, of of people. You brought up the 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 Oakland Raiders. Well, now they're in Los they're in Las Vegas now. But you brought up right. the Raiders, and people are very passionate about the teams that they follow and such. And I I'm very much passionate about judo, and 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 so are you, and and so many other people. But we don't we don't. Uh, as a collective, we don't really talk about it to other people very often other than just yeah. fellow judo people. You know, you know, you don't, you don't have to be, you know, if you're a Raiders fan, you, you could be, have many different backgrounds, have many different interests, but your common bond right. is, is the Raiders. But you know, with judo, right. you know, sometimes it's not quite the same way. So I, yeah. I, I think that's really interesting there that you have a blog because I, I think it's important. I think judo needs more social media, uh, a bigger social media presence than it currently has. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I mean, it's it's one of those things that, uh, of course, of with the language barrier, but um, you know, the the a lot of the top athletes in uh, in in judo are, are not are not from English speaking uh, nations, sure. and so. <laughs> You know, just getting gathering information, and I would say, you know, even in Japan, they they have uh, one really good uh, monthly magazine. Um, and outside of that, you know, ten years ago, or you know, other outside of the magazine, it's very hard to get um, information about the local judo, you know, scene. Um, and now, I mean, now we've got Twitter and, and Instagram and all that stuff, but uh, it, it hasn't always been like this. And so I think, um, yeah, it's always, I'm really appreciative. I get, you know, emails from people from all different countries asking questions and stuff. And I haven't even really updated my blog that frequently, but it's always really nice to hear from people who read my blog and have questions about judo in Japan. So I've got a question for you. One of the biggest reasons why I brought you on the podcast is to discuss the Hifume Abe Yoshiro Maruyama match that is happening on December 13th at the Kodokan. Yeah. I want to get your opinion on what, how do you feel about this match and the way that this is going to be decided? Because this is winner takes all for that for that final spot for the under 66 kilo division how do you feel about this match and and having this competition winner takes all bout yeah i mean it's first of all it's it's really exciting uh so i've got mixed feelings about it i mean you know on japanese uh a lot of the japanese athletes are talking about it on twitter i think it's probably the most popular topic right now um in japan Absolutely. and uh, and in the judo it, world too yeah and, and in the judo world it's super exciting um i'm kind of conflicted about the process to be honest um you know of course um they would have settled it all out at the tokyo grand slam uh, which 
was supposed to take place on the same weekend. Right. Um, and because that couldn't happen, they decided to go with a, a one match winner take all type scenario, which, um, you know, from a marketing standpoint is really good, I think. And, and it gives judo in Japan, you know, cause what a lot of people don't realize is Japan is, you know, even though it's a, it's a, it's a lot more popular than probably, you know, in the United States, um, it's still, you know, takes a backseat to baseball and, and a lot of these other sports. Right. Um, so, I mean, the, the amount of, uh, attention it's drawing, I think that's, that's great. I don't like, uh, uh, just from my personal opinion, I don't like that it's, it's a one match, um, winner takes all, because I think what they are looking for is really who can win a gold medal at the Olympics. And in order to win a gold medal at the Olympic games, you're going to have to win, you know, four or five, six matches. I, I don't exactly know how many. Um, and so a one match kind of changes a lot of the dynamics. And uh, I, I don't know that that's uh, the best, best uh, way to decide. Now, who this particular match here, is this part of a larger tournament? Or is this one of those just single match, just show up at the Kodokan, fight, and we're going to determine the winner? Is this part of a tournament, or is this literally just a single match? Yeah, it's just a one-off single match. It never been done before in the history of judo in Japan. What happened was they, they were supposed to have the All Japan uh, Selection Tournament in last April. That got canceled uh, because of the COVID-19 um, pandemic. And then um, really, Maruyama was on a roll. He was 3-0 uh, between 2018, 2019. And then he lost at the, it was either the Osaka Grand Slam or the Tokyo Grand Slam. I don't remember. Yeah, he lost in, to Abe, correct? Yeah, he lost to Abe. And so then um, they were going to go to the Dusseldorf Grand Prix and, uh, you know, compete there and hopefully that would have sorted it out um and that one um uh, Maruyama injured his knee or re-injured his knee and so they couldn't compete there Abe ended up winning uh, that he ended up tournament. yeah that's right he ended up winning that that gold there for that division right and so that kept Abe's hopes alive and then uh and then yeah they've just been waiting for timing the Tokyo Grand Slam got uh canceled so what they decided to do is just reserve the same weekend have a one single match at the Kodokan and uh, see, you know, whoever wins that one uh, goes to the Olympics. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> now, in terms of the IJF World Tour, the yeah. last time Hifumi Abe competed was at that Dusseldorf Grand Slam. And the last time uh, Maruyama competed was in that uh, Grand Slam in Osaka. Or I can't, was it Osaka or Tokyo? I can't remember where yeah, that tournament was held. Yeah, it was Osaka. It was Osaka. Yeah, okay. yeah, it was Osaka. Yeah. So, and and I want to get into this a little bit. Maruyama is sponsored by Mickey House, and Hifumi yeah. Abe is sponsored by Park Twenty Four. Have they yeah. been competing for their sponsorships since that time, or is this going to be the first time they stepped in a, in a on the tatami to compete since early twenty twenty? Um, since early, yeah, this is going to be the first time, um, 
since that Grand Slam in Osaka, they haven't had any corporate matches against each nothing. other. Okay. Yeah, nothing. So um, basically, all the domestic tournaments in Japan uh, got canceled, and um, because of the 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 situation of of their sponsorships, they probably would not have uh, competed against each other anyways, except for that, uh, except for the All Japan uh, weight class tournament uh, back in April that got canceled. Um, but yeah, basically, um, uh, we we can get get into this now. But um, sure, um, Mariyama is um, sponsored by Mickey House, which is a, a children's clothing company, and they primarily act more as just a corporate sponsorship. Where he he trains out of Tendi University uh, with uh, Shohei Ono and and uh, well a few other. Um, top athletes uh, in Nara Prefecture, which is in Western Japan. And Mickey House, they, they sponsor a handful of uh, judoka, but basically they're on their own to train and they get, you know, they wear the pat, the Mickey House uh, emblem. Um, whereas Park 24, which is uh, Abe's um, corporate team, they operate more as a team. They have a dojo. Um, they train together. Some of the time they train at their uh, previous universities other times they you know they go around tokyo training at different locations but uh, they also compete in team tournaments which mickey house does not do they just are more or less a, a corporate sponsor do you know how how significant these sponsorships are like is it a is yeah. it a big deal like, like for example i don't i don't know if being sponsored by mickey house is right is as big a deal as being sponsored by Adidas within Japan. I don't know. Is, does that right. correlate? Is, is it? Yeah. Is it um, so Mickey house, I should have brought up the roster, but they, um, they sponsor a handful of uh, like uh, Olympians in different sports. Tadahiro Nomura, the um, three, three time yeah. gold medalist. He was a Mickey house uh, athlete and uh, there's been some some top wrestlers, um, Olympic gold medalist wrestlers, um, and so from a funding perspective, it's uh, it's a really huge thing because in Japan, basically after university, your choices are to go to a a police a police department or a, a prison uh, prison guard, you know, a, a municipal or a, or a, a prefectural. A prison team um, or go to a, a corporate team and other than that it's very hard to stay in the elite ranks um, there are a few teachers you know who continue on I know Keiji Suzuki uh, uh, ended his career as a, a staff member of Kokushikan University um, and uh, Takamasa Anai he he never went to a corporate team he stayed with Tenni the, uh, for his entire career, but that's pretty rare. Interesting. So these, these athletes that, that go pro, um, yeah. are, are they making a decent living or is it, are, is it, right. is it good supplemental income to whatever they win on the, on the world tour or, or yeah. are they working? Are they also working jobs on top of being a professionally sponsored athlete? Yeah, so it it completely so this is the thing about the uh, you know uh, the corporate or the trade team 
system in Japan is that it's it's all over the board. It's very loosely defined. Um, so you have uh, you have teams like Park Twenty Four, which um, uh, Mariyama's older brothers on, uh, ironically, um, and uh, who are the other top o- Yusei Ogawa. Um, the heavyweight is on that team, and there's a bunch of top class athletes. Um, that is, they're making pretty big money from what I've heard. Um, and, uh, it's, it's kind of pushing a lot of, uh, the other teams into kind of, you know, a lot of trouble because they just can't keep up. Um, and then you have teams like, uh, Matthew Baker's team, uh, which is the JRA, the, uh, Japanese racing association. It's the government subsidized horse racing, uh, uh, association and they um, they have to work for a portion of the day it might only be a couple hours um, but they actually work in order to continue in their career after they retire from judo and uh, they like in Matthew Baker's team that's Kokoro Kageura the uh, plus 100 who just beat Teddy Renee um, they don't have a dojo they they have to go train usually at their former university. So Matthew Baker would be Tokai. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, Kagiro would also be Tokai. They train at their former universities and then they represent the uh, team, um, you know, with their emblem at, at domestic tournaments. And then you've got, so the the other extreme, so that's where they work part of the time. Mitsui Sumitomo, which is um, uh, Asami, uh, no, what is her name? Kondo, what, what's her first name? I can't remember. Amy? Yeah, yes, um, yes, Ami Kondo. Um, they, none, not a single one of their athletes has gone to university. They only take uh, athletes straight out of high school, and that is like uh, you know, um, they they uh, have their own dojo. It's very apparently it's very very strict uh, training regimen, and they have to work. Uh, in the, you know, a, for a portion of the day as well in the regular company. So, yeah, it's all different. And um, uh, one of the hard things is Park 24 is just so loaded with money that a lot of these uh, other corporate teams are having a hard time, you know, keeping up. And that's probably why, you know, the police teams are almost, you know, non-existent at the elite level these days is just because, you know, the top athletes are going to follow the money, <laughs> And there's not not nearly as much in the police departments. Do athletes or once somebody graduates high school or university or whatever the case may be, is are, are Japanese people required to serve in the police departments of their local prefecture or it, you said uh, work as a prison guard or, or something like do Do they have to do some sense of community service? I, I guess I, you, I just don't know if that's the case. You're talking about the judo athletes, or that's correct, yes, or yeah. or really anybody, but but I guess in this yeah. context, just the judo athletes. Yeah. So the the um the police uh the prison system there, uh, police and prison system they are uh, considered uh, government civil servants for the, it could be the prefecture or um the you know Tokyo's the the uh, you know the capital um. And so with the judo teams, uh, there's different situations depending on which prefecture. And so you have 
prefectures um, where they treat the athletes quite well. And then certain prefectures, they're kind of under-resourced, maybe understaffed, and they don't put as much uh, stock into their judo teams. Uh, but basically, every all the police officers, they will serve as police officers, whether that's doing regular patrols or teaching other, you know, the general population of um, police officers judo for self-defense. Um, and then for several hours a day, they'll also uh, train. And, you know, the, the, the top athletes, they get kind of special privileges. Uh, they won't get sent, you know, to way far out in the prefecture, um, you know, or have to do the overnight, uh, you know, the overnight duties, um, sure. things like that. Um, but yeah, it, it really depends on the, um, on the, uh, on the prefecture, the area that they're working in. Okay, so so there there isn't there isn't a chance that Maruyama, for example, would have been working a twelve hour overnight shift and then have to take a train to Tokyo to fight uh, Hufumo Yabe. That's probably not going to happen, right? Oh, right. Yeah, and they, and the, um, Abe and Maruyama are not uh, are not police officers. So. Okay, yeah, I, I didn't yeah. think so, but but even but that just wouldn't that wouldn't even happen anyway, even if that was no. I mean, they're they're going to be so primed and ready, and and uh, they're probably already uh, you know focusing on nothing but this match i'd imagine now who do you think has the advantage here in, in this contest the way that it's set up right now yeah uh, that's 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 the thing um that makes this one so interesting and you know they've they've met seven times total i've not seen their first match uh that was when uh, abe was still in high school um but overall, Mariyama's four and three, and he's got he had a streak going in 2018 to 2019. He's three and one, um, and so I think based off of that, I would give the edge to Mariyama. Um, except that this is a one match situation, and I think that just changes everything about this uh, this rivalry. Um, six of the seven matches that they've had have gone into golden score. The only one that didn't go into golden score was in 2015. Six, uh, five of those six matches that went into golden score uh, were in a final. And one, the world championships was in a semifinal. And so you, you can rest assured, I, I think this is definitely going to go into overtime. Um, but I think that the key here is that in an Olympics, you've got to make it through an entire tournament and they've always met up in a final. And, uh, I think that just the stamina, the endurance and everything that just changes the entire, uh, the entire landscape of the, the of the match. Um, and in this situation, it's going to be a one-off. So I think, uh, it really just changes everything. So you think? So who do you who do you think should be the person? If because you've already expressed that you're not a big fan of the way that they're doing it right now, yeah. Let's just let's just let's just put aside maybe the ideal way that this should happen. Who do you think yeah. should be the representative? If if looking at everything right now, 
You know, I, I think, I, I guess who should be, I guess Abe has the better overall record. He's a two-time world champ. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's been really consistent uh, for the last, you know, f- for this entire Olympic cycle. Right. Um, that said, my personal hope is that Mariyama is the one he's 27 years old. He definitely, you know, he's had knee problems for years. Um, and this is going to be his last shot where I think Abe, um, you know, he could, he could go for another Olympics, uh, very, you know, um, you very possibly. Um, and so I hope, uh, you know, I think honestly, I think Matayama has, uh, more tools at his disposal. In, in, um, now, in what way? Te- technically, I think um, you know, and and uh, no, Nomura uh, Tadahiro Nomura, the uh, the three time Olympic gold medalist, um, is actually like he acts as kind of a, a career manager for uh, Abe and his sister. And uh, I remember in one of the uh, interviews that they were doing, uh, Nomura said, you know, one of the troubles with Abe winning a world championship so young was that uh, he didn't really have a whole lot of time to refine his technique because, you know, he's always having to defend some title or another. Um, and I think Maruyama's trajectory was a lot different. And I just think he's got a, a larger quiver of uh, techniques uh, that he could use in a, in a match. But you know, it's it's the styles that I think their their approach to judo is so different that I think that's one thing that makes this really exciting. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, for me, yeah, I when I look at who who I think it should go, I typically look at the who's accomplished more in the Olympic cycle, who's had right. more success. And, and for me, and, and this is, and maybe you can explain this to me because it, seem, it seems to me that the most deserving person based right. on accomplishment right. is Hifumi Abe. And to me, it's right. not even close. We're talking about two world championships, right. uh, one silver, one bronze. We're talking about yeah. eight grand slam medals on the IJF world tour. You know, right. one one gold. Uh, you know, the eight gold gold medals uh, and right. one gold right, right. at a, at a Grand Prix, right. and you know, Maruyama's uh, accomplishments in the. And I'm not diminishing. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, I'm not diminishing a world championship. You know, but right. I, I can't right. even believe I'm saying he's only got one world championship. I mean, yeah, yeah, that, right, I, right. I can't right. even believe that came out of my mouth. But I, that's yeah. That's kind of how I see that, and yeah. You know, I, no, I, can understand, I, I can understand the perspective of, of you know, this is Maruyama's, you know, maybe last yeah. chance. But to me, it's yeah. like, I, I, who, who accomplished more? So, so my question yeah. is, yeah. why is this even a debate among enthusiasts, not only in Japan, but with the All Japan Judo Federation? Because it seems, it seems like they are not willing to just give it to Abe based on accomplishment. Yeah, I think because in the head-to-heads they're three and one. Uh, Mariyama's three and one at some big tournaments, the Grand Slam Osaka in two thousand eighteen, uh, the All Japan Weight Class Championships in two thousand nineteen, and then the World Championships, and then uh, he lost in the Osaka Grand Slam. But I think head-to-head, uh, it's very close. I think 
no matter who goes, I think this is going to be your gold medalist uh, at the Olympics. Completely agreed. I, um, I don't, I don't see it yeah. going any other way, barring an injury. Yeah, and that that's the thing. I think Mariama is a bit more fragile. Um, you know, he. One of the reasons you haven't heard, we, we hadn't heard of him. Uh, he. He um well he and going back to elementary school I mean his his father was an Olympian uh, at the Barcelona Olympics um his his older brother was a junior world champion uh, who's on Abe's team which is um, makes that's another dynamic that's very interesting they're they're studying each other probably uh, very very closely um but Mariama uh, he got kicked out of his high school um, and so that kind of you know he didn't have the results he probably could have. And then he, uh, his whole team got suspended for some bullying incident uh, when he was in university. And then he got injured. He tore his ACL. And so he really came, you know, he started coming on, you know, to, to reaching the peak of his career a bit later. Um, but I just think his judo is just, is so phenomenal. Um, you know, they're, they're so different. Abe, um, is just relentless you know i mean he he really pours on the pressure he he's uh he imposes his will and he creates i think his own openings yeah whereas you know i think mariyama if you if you watch his matches he starts out a bit slow slower and he um he kind of looks for openings that his opponents give him um, and so I, th- I think it's just such a different uh, approach to judo. That's what makes it so uh, fascinating and, uh, you know, something to look forward to. Absolutely. And, and we, we've talked about this before that, you know, physically speaking in terms of the way Abe approaches matches and stuff, he, yeah. he, he does things with his body um, oh, man. Uh, that I, I – I don't, you know, it's not even possible. I remember, uh, you know, just a few days ago talking to you about this, that yeah. like I, I've seen posts on, on Reddit and other discussion forums, you know, people yeah. asking yeah. like, you know, yeah. how do you, how do you do Abe's, you know, say Anagi? What, what is it yeah. that makes it work? <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's Abe, you know, yeah. even, you know, it's, he does things with his, his body, his body contorts yeah. in ways that, that I mean, yeah. if I even attempted that, I I I would be in the hospital. I would have a torn rotator cuff. It, oh it, man, you just pull. I mean, no, Nomura said the same thing. He said, yeah. uh, you know, I have no idea how you come in like this without ripping your arm right off of your, you know, right off of your body, um, uh, right off of your shoulder because it's just um, it's he's a one of a kind. Um, and, and this is a big problem, actually, in, in Japan right now. So many juniors are trying to emulate his style. And number one, it's dangerous. And number yeah. two, it's not that effective because there's just not a lot of people who can do that kind of uh, judo. It's, it's like, um, uh, I don't know if you remember, but uh, Koga had a kind of unique seoinage. And, uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. right. Where he 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 grab in the armpit and, um, and you know there was a time when so many people were trying to do that technique and unless you're Koga, you know, and you've got El- Elvis Presley type, you know, swivel hips, yeah. uh, you know, you're you're just not gonna be able to hit that throw. Um, and I and and so yeah, I think Abe is just one of a kind. He's the he's definitely the more explosive. Um, 
athlete of the two, I think, um, in terms of combining power and speed. Um, I think, uh, I think where he is, well, I, I would say this, I don't know which of the two has better stamina. Yeah, we'd have to look at their VO2 max and, you know, run all kinds of physical tests. But I think Mariyama has more efficiency, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does make sense. I, 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 you brought this up before you've made this point, and, and I actually, I agree, I understand and agree the point that when it comes to winning several matches to make it to a gold medal match and win it, I, I do think Maruyama would have a better chance at getting to the podium in, in, in right. that long form, go through right. Field where we've seen Abe flame out, even as right. as with with the gold uh, or or with the red back patch, you know, showing right. that he's the world champion. We've seen him flame out in the second round, right? Um, you know, we've seen that happen. So, you you know, I I, I I'm with you there that I I do think be, because of that Mariyama's efficiency that that he may have the kind of stamina to 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 make it all the way through the final. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, honestly, I think both of them both are going to, sure. you know, they're, they're both of them are going to be the, the hands down favorite. I would even say for me personally, I think they're the two best athletes in judo right now. Um, that, that, no shot to Ono, but I, I think that Abe and Mariam were the, you know, the two, the two that uh, I personally like. Um, when, when it's gone into golden score the last few times, I think um, it's come down to, well, there's two, two situations. Abe kind of runs out of gas right. and loses a bit of concentration, and Mariyama is able to use his, his savvy to, you know, to, to throw him at the end. The other situation, and this is what I think kind of happened at the Osaka Grand Slam, is that um, Abe is very good at pressing the pace, and Mariyama almost always falls behind in the penalties. Right. And so I think with the last one, he knew he had to come in with an attack, or he's going to get a third penalty. And then, you know, he came in with a one-handed Uchimata, and, and Abe countered him. So I think, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be whether Mariyama can avoid getting penalized early on and then whether Abe can maintain his concentration when it goes, you know, 10, 11 minutes into the match. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's, it, there's just, I mean, plus with the, the, uh, recent decision at the Kodokan cup and they're going to, you know, give, both of the under 60 guys, uh, the championship because of the refereeing uh, mistakes. I don't see this uh, being decided by penalties, personally. I think whoever that ref is, I feel bad for him, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the hardest job. Um, and I don't think that referee or she, he or she is going to uh, – I just don't see it going to being decided on penalties. No, on on the only way that happens is if it's in golden score and they have gotten their warnings over and over again. There comes a point. Right. The, the refs are 
when I watch them on the world tour, they're, they're very yeah. good about that. And right. they don't, they're, they're not looking to give you Cheetos. They are, right. they want the athletes to, to, to decide the outcome of the match without referee interference right. uh, by right. Cheeto. Right. Right. And they're, they're, they're pretty good about that. And I fully expect uh, whoever the referee is going to be, um, I fully expect that to be the case that he, he or she will give them every opportunity to not call that third yeah. Shido. Cause, cause that, yeah. I, that would be this. I, I look, I mean, look, if there's a Shido there, you got to call it. Right. But right. Right. But at the same time, you, yeah. you know, you, you got to let them decide it as much as possible. Allow these two athletes to decide the outcome on the, on the mat. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I totally agree. That said, uh, I might be, getting a bit ahead of myself, but I think with this situation, a one match, uh, one match winner takes all, I think Abe's got a huge advantage here. Yeah. Um, and, and you, you mentioned this before to me off, yeah. off line. Yeah. Mariyama has to travel, correct? Yeah. I mean, it's not a huge, uh, distance. He's, he's in Western Japan. He's in Nara prefecture, um, which is where Tenni university is. And so he's got to take a bullet train or an airplane uh, to Tokyo where, uh, you know, Abe is already in Tokyo. He's, you know, the Park 24 dojo is probably about, you know, a 30 minute train ride from the Kodokan. And so he's, yeah, he's got, uh, he's got home, home, you know, home field advantage. And, uh, you know, if I was, if I was uh, Matayama's team, I would have been fighting to have it, you know, somewhere neutral or, you know, in a, in a maybe halfway, but uh, you know, that's how, that's how it goes. Do you think it should be held at the Kodokan? Do you think that's a good neutral ground? Um, yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I think it's, it probably got to the point where that was the only place that they could uh, probably host it. Um, just in terms of renting a, you know, venue and, and working out all the details. Um, it's, it's a very interesting situation. They, they've decided to go with the white and blue judogi, which that's historically, right. you know, the, the first the, the time co- ever. <laughs> yeah. The first time ever. And, uh, they're even changing the mats. It's going to be on the seventh floor, which probably a lot of listeners who have been to the Kodokan are well familiar with, um, they're going to change the mats to the same mats that they use on the IGF world tour. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a signal of, you know, changes to come Um, on November 26th. They're going to, uh, they're going to have an all Japan judo federation, you know, big announcement because of uh, what happened at the Kodokan cup with the officiating and uh, one of the recommendations has been to make the uh, All Japan Openweight Championships a blue and white uh, event, uh, the Judogi event. And uh, that would essentially eliminate all of the all white uh, competitions in Japan, which is, you know, a huge sign of the times that are, you know, changing right now. Now, how do you feel about that? How, or how, how do you, you know, feel about that? And how do you yeah. think most people. Uh, uh, who are judo enthusiasts in Japan feel about that? You know, I'm sure there are some that want to keep the all-white gi. I try to put myself in the shoes of the athlete. I've never competed at that level. But sure. if I was competing at that level um, and, you know, I had 
basically given my life to, um, you know, compete at that level and then lost because the um, score, you know, the timekeepers couldn't see who was in the pin uh, because they couldn't see the judogi or the red, the red belt, you know, then I would say, you know, I don't blame anybody for wanting a uh, blue judogi and the way that they um, have been, these meetings have been going on. They've been um, including, you know, the coaches, the athletes have their own kind of committee. Then there's like the, you know, all Japan judo federation top, you know, kind of group. Anyways, there's four big groups that, that met about what to do about the officiating and, you know, the athletes had their voice and, uh, you know, I don't blame them whatsoever um, in terms of wanting, you know, to be able to differentiate um, for future matches. That said, I, have you ever been to the All Japan Judo Championships? Never. I, I Never? Will. One day I will, but I have not. Yeah. I mean, it's just the, it's, it, the, the tournament itself is amazing. It's, it's on, contested on one mat. It takes all day long. Um, but the the very beginning when there are all the athletes are marching in and they got this big old drum that they beat, you know, as they're announcing each athlete's name and where they're from. And, uh, you know, they're all in the white judogi and uh, they got the, you know, Japanese drums going and uh, it's just like a spectacle, like no other tournament. And I think, you know, it's going to be kind of sad when, you know, that kind of tradition gets lost because I don't see it, you know, I don't see them reversing course. Once they go to a blue judogi, I think that's it. That's it. Yeah. 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 I, I, I hear that. I, I don't have any strong opinions either way. I've never owned the blue judogi personally because I've, I've never competed in a tournament where I absolutely needed one. Right. Um, so I was, I always just had white. I, I continue to wear white unless I'm in, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I, I wear whatever I want. But for me, you know, I've always, right. I've always been partial to white, but, but for the highest levels of competition, yeah. I, I think I think blue is fine, and yeah. it is interesting to me to see uh, the Kodokan of of all places right. uh, have the right. blue judogi for for a comp uh, for really what is what amounts to a national championship of sorts. I, exactly. I could I could understand if somebody from another country you know right. came in as a guest they had the you know blue judogi like if Teddy Renner came. Right. Practicing at the Kodokan, he happened to have his blue judogi. That I can understand, but um, right. But even in those situations, I've heard that there are people there that would stop you from s- stepping on the tatami uh, with a yeah. blue judogi. I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think it is. I mean, I you know, I I sympathize with the the Kodokan. Um, you know, they they don't uh, have much jurisdiction over the tournaments. The Kodokan Cup is. Uh, really the Kodokan Cup in name only, the All Japan Judo Federation um, is in charge of, you know, um, managing that tournament. Um, And so I I wouldn't say they've been marginalized, but I think their role has definitely changed in the last, you know, 10 or so years. Um, But I think there's there's definitely a place for the Kodokan in Judo. I hope they don't uh, start losing too much um, influence because their voice is you know, extremely, extremely important in, in, uh, you know, the development of judo. So, you know, it's a, a, I have kind of conflicted feelings about that. I I'm with you there. Do you, do you think the Kodokan is losing its influence? Um, I think objectively, yes. In terms of tournaments, you know, they, they, uh, don't, um, they don't, uh, 
you know, they, uh, they don't really have any, I think they host the high high, I, I don't know how the Kodansha um, tournament, the, the high degree That's right, black yeah. belt tournament. Um, Is but, it, isn't uh, that a, a, a Batsugan tournament? Um, I think they have several, um, several different tournaments. I'm not okay. sure. I'm not a high degree <laughs> um, black belt. So I, I don't really know um, what the system is like, uh, but um, you know, they, they have jurisdiction over some tournaments, but as far as like the elite level tournaments, they objectively, they don't have much influence. The university tournaments are, you know, blue, they went to blue and white judogi. Um, but in terms of judo overall, I think they're still very powerful and, and uh, you know, very strong voice in Japanese judo. Good. And I, yeah. I hope that, I hope that never changes because they, yeah, to, to me, to me as, as an outsider looking in the, the Kodokan yeah. is the, to me, the gatekeeper of all things that is, that is judo in terms of curriculum, in terms of tradition, in terms of, 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 of everything that, that I don't want to say sport yeah. judo is bad because it's, it's clearly yeah. it's not. I love watching sport judo, but, right. but I think what can happen is yeah. we, we can lose sight that judo is, to me, is far more of a sport, that it's, that it's a, yeah. a, a, a great physical education system right um that is right. that is that is you know beneficial i i mean for me personally my life is right. better because of judo and it's not because right. i i competed in one medals that's not why my yeah. life is better and i think yeah. i think for for adults and, and and for judo you know there's there's always that hope that that um that judo can be something more than just a sport and i think the kodokan yeah. can be a gatekeeper of of what judo still is uh at least what it is to me and i, I think yeah. what it is for many other people around the world yeah absolutely i mean you know they're they're um they're in charge of preserving a lot of original documents they've got a you know fantastic library for scholars um and you know um they've got really a lot of the best uh instructors in the world um you know, who are still kind of, uh, you know, promoting the development of judo techniques and stuff. And so if, if it was lost, I think that would be a huge loss for the, you know, for judo around the world. And there's a time and place for, you know, the elite type of Olympic sport uh, judo. And there's a time and place, uh, you know, for, you know, the kind of judo that I think the, the Kodokan is, is promoting. And I think they're both really important. Absolutely. Now, you've brought this up a couple of times. I, I wanted to get your parting thoughts on it. The under-60 kilo final at the Kodokan Cup. Yeah. I watched that match. Yeah. I, you know, to tell you the truth, I had to watch yeah. that match a couple of times, e even with some subtitles. I still don't know what happened, but it, I still don't quite – I mean, I know there was a referee error, and, yeah. and it had to do with the scorekeeper not starting the clock on time. Do, do I got yeah. that right? Because it seems, it seems like a lot of people yeah. – I mean, I've seen bad calls in judo, and that was certainly yeah. one of the worst ones. But I think the, yeah. the, 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 the overwhelming uh, outrage over the match, I, right. I, I didn't see it as outrageous as maybe other people did. Maybe – did you see it out as an outrageous disaster? I, or I, I – think i think what made it bad was the accumulation of poor decisions right you know it wasn't just one 
it wasn't just one. And I think the, um, you know, just, just the, the everything surrounding, I mean, there was a lot of bad luck, you know, when the official called that Osai Komi, his back was turned to the, to the clock. They, you know, the AJJF, they released that video on YouTube and from the scorekeeper's perspective, and you couldn't see the red sash or the back patch at yeah. the time that uh, the Osai Komi was called. Um, and so, you know, to be honest, I've seen it. I've seen similar things happen quite a few times in local tournaments here. I guess the <laughs> the big thing is you don't want to make that call in the finals of a, you know, a big national tournament. Um, you know, things happen. I mean, uh, and I, I think, um, I think Konishi was a good sport. You know, he, he took the loss very well. Yeah. Um, and he, he'll get repaid for that as well. I mean, he's, you know, he's going to be declared the COVID, the co-champion next week and yeah. or in a few days. Now that's and, news uh, to me. I did, I did not know this. I, I was. Yeah. Curious. So I, I, I put it out on Twitter and then I deleted the tweet right away because it's all it's all but a done deal but these four branches of the all japan judo federation met they put out their recommendations to uh you know prevent the same type of call from happening again and one of the recommendations was to award him the you know dual you know the co-victor um and so it's gonna it's gonna be officially um i don't know what the word is ratified or officially take you know gonna take effect on november 26th um but yeah you know i mean it was it's kind of funny the one thing that i i noticed on uh, no no offense to anybody who's on reddit but some people on reddit i read the thread and they were complaining about how konishi used an illegal grip you know where he grabbed inside of the sleeve and uh Man, I, I just thought, well, welcome to welcome to top level judo. I mean, that's like, oh yeah. You know, I mean, if if that's not happening, you know, you're you're in a minority because that's that's like just par for the course. I I, I say the same thing about about yeah. really any any high level sport. It it sounds yeah. bad for me to say it, but yeah. you know, even even for even for the for the polite japanese fighters and everything like that if you're yeah. not cheating you're not trying and i know everybody <laughs> everybody yeah. in on that level they will yeah. you're if you it's and it's only cheating if you get caught so yeah you know that that's that's the mo and when when yeah when there's so much at stake uh so yeah, much and, on the line you know and it's gotten to a point where there's so few openings like it you know if you were you know it's very hard to grip in general you know what i mean and and it's happening at such a high pace you might not even be consciously trying to cheat you, you're just trying to get a grip you know where wherever you can take it wherever you can take it exactly yeah and um so they, anyways they, but at that level they're they're too fast they're too strong yeah, and right. i mean heck, and even travis stevens it, yeah. it, uh about a year ago on a, on a YouTube post that he had, he admitted he cheated oh. for four years with a, with oh, a grip. Right? Yeah. He, he had totally admitted and showed and showed how he did it. Oh, yeah. Right? So, you know, it's, 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 I'm sure it happens all the time in every country, every athlete tries to bend the rules and, and get away with as much as possible. I, and I don't believe any less. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and, uh, granted, I, I, you know, as I said, I think a lot of times, you know, it, things are happening so fast that, you know, they, they might not even, you know, be consciously trying to cheat all the time. It's just kind of what happens. And, you know, when everybody else at that level is gripping in a similar way, you know, it's pretty hard not to. Um, now but, with this Abe Maruyama match, yeah. What is the public sentiment on it, if there is any? So, for example, are they talking yeah. about this on, you know, are the newspapers talking about this? Are oh, yeah. people on TV and radio d- discussing yeah. this? So is this a, a much talked about event? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's in the news a, a lot. A lot of the big news outlets are reporting on it. It's going to be broadcast on uh, you know, major uh, television network. And it um, is going to be live streamed. It's, it's, it'll, be live streamed. it'll be live streamed. Yeah. It, from what I understand, it's going to be live streamed. Now, what I don't know is whether that's going to be a free live stream or they're going to somehow, I don't know, charge for it. I, I don't really know. Um, and I don't know that there's been much information about how it's going to be streamed. Um, I'm assuming it's just going to be on YouTube. Um, and definitely on my blog once I figure it out I'll let everybody know um but uh yeah I mean it's it's a big deal um Twitter is pretty interesting you know a lot of the uh big um you know big athletes uh, famous athletes are kind of commenting on you know how they feel about it being a one one match winner take all type scenario and uh yeah there's so much hype I don't I don't remember you know, the last time it was this big, the thing is with, you know, Kosei Inoue and Keiji Suzuki, that was a huge rivalry. Um, right. But, you know, dep- regardless of who won or lost, one of them would enter the plus 100. One of them would un- enter the minus 100. Right. And so the- both of them would end up going to all the major tournaments. But the, the, you know, this time around, you just don't have that. Yeah, there, there and is, so there is no, there is no, there is nowhere else uh, for the loser to go. Yeah, I mean, effectively, if Mariyama loses this, I mean, this is going to be his retirement. I'm almost certain he's he's pretty banged up, and uh, you right. know, 20, 27 years old. There's just not a whole lot left for him to do. I mean, he's got his world championship. Uh, he's got you know pretty bad knees and uh you know i'm I'm sure these two guys are just training like crazy you probably not want to step into a dojo after you know losing this next match you know oh yeah yeah no kidding i i I wouldn't i couldn't even imagine i mean i yeah (laughs) would would there be any chance that that mariyama bumps up in weight category if he loses in in, in not not so much to make an olympics not to not to make these olympics but just to continue his career or do you really think he'll hang it up for good you know i i don't i don't know i think there's a good chance that abe at some point will have to move up to 73 he competed in 73 um in high school and so i i think he's naturally you know his physique he'd probably be able to step into 73 no problem and you know i'm pretty sure ono is going to retire as well as Hashimoto. I'm pretty sure the two of them will retire after this Olympics. And so um, I, 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 I'm guessing that Abe at some point in his career is going to step up to 73. Mariyama at 27. Uh, I just, I just think he's going to retire if he, if he loses this one. 
Or, yeah. or, or if he wins, he'll retire after the Olympics. Are you surprised at all that they're still sticking to the under 66 kilo uh, division with COVID? And the reason why I ask this is because I know there were a few athletes, but no, most notably uh, Daria Bilu did uh, okay. in, the, in the most recent you know, Grand Slam in Hungary. Oh, uh, right. She moved up in weight. She typically oh, fights right. in under 48 uh, yeah. kilos, but she moved up yeah. to under 52 and, and right. earned, the, earned the bronze. But the reason why she moved up to under 52 right. was because of COVID and, and the restrictions yeah. and such. Are, are you surprised at all that they didn't just move up and wait for, for this? or is Do a catch weight? No, not yeah. at all. Okay. J- Japan, Japan is... Um, they got some crazy weight cutting, you know, restrictions. They do. Um, okay. So not, yes. not restrictions. You know, in order to keep your spot on the national team, uh, you can't just move up and down. You've got you've to have results in that category. And then once you're on the national team, you're on the national team at that weight category. And so, you know, there's... Um, yeah, I, I probably shouldn't go, <laughs> you know, I've heard of, you know, athletes uh, passing out in saunas, you know, having to get carried out, you know, onto an ambulance and then going to a tournament the next day and, and winning and, uh, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. I've seen, you know, some just ridiculous weight cuts in Japan. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, it doesn't surprise me in the least bit. It, they're uh, contracted to you know, compete at 66 and that's what's going to happen. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't think there's going to be a lot of sympathy from anyone in that, in that, in that area. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to talk later about myths in, uh, in, in Japan, judo in Japan. One of those oh, myths yeah. that I've always heard is, uh, yeah. the Japanese don't cut weight that they stay. Oh that yeah. yeah that, I know. That's actually, I've heard that one. Believe oh man, not. yeah, I know. I I've I've heard that they don't cut weight and that they don't tailor their judogi. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and let me tell you, they 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 are skirting the rules to you know get the most tight fitting judogi that they possibly can. Um, and I know because I've got I've got one in my uh, I've got one in my office right now. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Well, is there anything else that we need to, we should cover about this that we did not? Yeah, the Abe, um, Abe Mariyama match. I, let me just give you a rundown of how I think it's going to go. And then that should be enough right there. Yeah. So I'll, there- what, I'll, I'll actually ask you the question because I'll, I'll okay. cut that, that last 30 seconds out. Oh, okay. So how do you think this match will just, will go? How do you think this match is going to play out? And I think you're hoping to see a Mariyama victory, but regardless yeah. of that, how do you think yeah. it's gonna, this is going to play out? Yeah, and that's the thing. I think if it was a finals of a Grand Slam or finals of a, uh, you know, uh, elite level domestic tournament, um, Mariyama has more tools at his disposal. He's got... Um, he's better tactically. I think he's able to keep his composure uh, when he gets really, really late into the into the match. But with the one-off match, I think I think Abe is going to be absolutely relentless. He's going to push the action. I think he's going to get up on penalties. Um, and uh, I think that you know the big Uchimata that that Mariam is known for. 
I think he's going to be too cagey in this type of match. I think he's going to try to, you know, they're, they're fighting left versus right. And I think, um, you know, Abe is going to try to come under, reach around towards um, the belt, if that makes sense. He's going to try to grab, he's going to try to grip the back in a normal situation, uh, Mariyama would have no problem coming over the back and going in for an Uchimata. But I think because um, Abe is so dangerous, you know, when he's got the around the back, you know, grabbing towards the belt, that he's going to try to keep his distance. Um, he's going to try to keep his distance and, uh, you know, wait for, wait for the right timing. Um, but I think Abe is just going to, he's going to have so much pressure that I think in the end, he's probably going to win. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't see Abe losing this personally. Then again, that's just an opinion. And that, yeah. and I fully admit that's a bias. I'm a huge fan of, of Abe. Not that I'm yeah. not a fan of Mariama, but, but for yeah. me, you know, I, I kind of agree. I, I agree with you. I, I just don't see this going uh, Mariama's way, partially because of the travel, partially yeah. because of, of, of the age and, and, and right. injuries. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think, as we already discussed, as you pointed yeah. out, with yeah. a one-off match, I, I, yeah. I don't see how Mariama wins this, personally. Yeah, I mean, Avi, gosh, he's so explosive and so powerful. I mean, if he comes in fresh, he's just going to be a monster, you know. And um, I, I think, you know, with, with what, what's happened in the, the three matches it. Um, that Abe lost I think he kind of lost his concentration you know and he kind of I think and, and I'm sure you you know this uh, from competing is that you know when it you you get really really tired all the strategy that you've been practicing for can just you can lose that you know in an instant when you're just you know, super tired and not really knowing what's going on anymore. Yeah, you just and, you just dig deep and, and run on yeah, instincts. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you just go on instinct at a certain point. And I think, you know, um, what's happened is, you know, Abe just got, he's gotten really tired. He's kind of gotten off of plan. And uh, Mariyama's gotten him with the Tomoe Nage, the Sumigaishi, or some, you know, some variation of that. And, uh, but I, I think... Uh, you know, what's going to happen is Abe's going to be relent. He's not even going to go for a left-sided throw. I think it's going to be all right-sided throws. He's going to come real strong, push forward the whole time. And I don't think he's going to tire out. I think he's, you know, in one match, I think he's going to have enough of a gas tank to just pile on the pressure until he wins. I do wonder, will they, there be any rust between the two? Oh, my gosh. I think that's a huge thing. I mean, yeah. I think that's so big because – Mariyama hasn't competed in a year, and 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 Abe in 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 nearly a year. Just yeah, about. in ten months, in yeah. ten months, and and I think with the pressure, that's why I'm saying I think it's just kind of a ridiculous way to decide uh, the Olympian because it's you know it's um it's almost like you know if you're at an NFL combine and you're you know trying to choose a running back and you say okay let's uh, have you run a 10k. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean. It it kind of doesn't really match with what they're looking for, right? But but I understand. I mean, you've got to do something, and they've had so many, you know, so much trouble with um, you know, COVID, and you know, getting these tournaments going. Um, 
I, I can understand why they're doing it, but I just think that uh, it's not, it's not a extremely good way to decide. I mean, the, the thing is, um, Abe comes out so strong and in that world championship, he nearly scored like in the first 30 seconds twice, I think. Um, you know, with the one he, he lost uh, in the last world championship, it could be that, you know, they both just are, are so rusty and so nervous that, you know, one of them, probably Abe just comes in and nails him, you know, right at the get-go. I, I could see that happening as well. So you know, speaking of, um, I got a question with regards to other Olympic spot selections. How okay. is it that the All Japan Judo Federation, can you shed some light on how do they make selections for other divisions? And, and I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Okay. Um, let me just see if I'm going to pull up her. Okay. Well, she's won three world championships. Well, so I'm looking at the plus 78 kilo division okay you have uh, akira sone do i have that name right? yeah 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 sone she yeah. is ranked number i believe number two in the world if i'm not mistaken yeah, yeah she's number yeah. two but yeah. sarah asahina is ranked yeah. number four and right. both of them have had a great a, a, a right. great cycle but it's it's my understanding is it i thought i read somewhere that asahina is re- retiring is she, well she she's not officially retiring yet um she didn't compete at the kodokan cup and she um she's officially the alternate for this olympics and she'll probably i i think she's scheduled to compete in the all japan open weight championships on december 27th uh but she she left she left park 24 um she's in medical school now um and it doesn't look to be that she's even – she made this interview where she said she just wants to keep up with judo enough so that she doesn't embarrass herself in case she goes to the Olympics. Oh, okay. So, so, so for all intents and purposes, she's – She's once, done. I mean, once, these Olympics are, once these Olympics are done, she's – Yeah. Yeah, her. She said her retirement tournament is going to be the Tokyo Grand Slam, uh, the same year as the Olympics. So next next year's Tokyo Grand Slam. But um, from from everything that I've heard, uh, she's not even really practicing much. That that's really interesting. I mean, you know, she's had a heck of a career. And oh I, man! And I thought, yeah, I I I I was the when she lost to I believe she lost to Sone. Yeah. Last year at uh, right. what was it, the World Championships with it. Yeah, she she lost a couple times, and that's kind of what put uh, Sony over the top. Um, but yeah, it was the Grand Slam where uh, Sony won the Grand Slam, and that that uh, she was the first athlete on the Japanese Olympic team to be na- given the spot. Right. So, how, I guess what I didn't understand at the time, it to me, yeah. it was just one loss. It was just one loss to a to a fellow country person. So. Why did that one loss hold so much weight despite her accomplishments? I mean, two gold. I mean, I know Sone has had three world championships, but Asahina had two, you know, one silver, one bronze, six grand slam golds. I mean, that's a heck of a career. So how did it just come to that one loss? How do they make that decision? Yeah. I'm trying to pull it up right now. Um, Actually, um, the last few times that they 
met uh, in in domestic as well as international Sony Sony One. Okay, so and there's so, a domestic. Okay. Yeah. So the All Japan. Um, let me see if I've got it. Well, the, anyways, the All Japan um, Open Weight Championships. Uh, they had a super long match, and Asahina basically like could. Be, I mean, she could barely stand at the end. It was a really long uh, match, and uh, so then I think it was three. If I'm not mistaken, I think she had three losses in 2019. Uh, Asahina did, and so uh, that that gave uh, Sone the uh, you know she got the the nod to go. Um, gosh, sorry, I. I would have to. You yeah, want me I'm to looking, look it up? I'm looking. I'm looking at it right now. You are correct. She okay. did have. She actually had four losses, and um, two of them came to who I think is a favorite in that division, uh, Idalis Ortiz of Cuba. I think. She, oh, right. Yeah, she's Ortiz. probably the strongest in that division. I'm not saying that that uh, Sone couldn't beat her. I'm just saying. As it stands right now, in my opinion, I think yeah. I think uh, Ortiz is probably uh, the, the, the person to beat in that division. It's uh, going to be, who knows, you know, Sone, Sone left her university like a few months ago and she's training out of her former high school. And, uh, who knows what kind of effect that's going to have, you know, she, at least she's in Tokyo. I think she's uh, in Tokyo or around to the Tokyo area and she's got better, um, probably access to better training partners than she would at her university, but, you know, not being part of a team, I don't know how that's going to go. Right. Cause you, you, you need people pushing you in practice. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard to, to just roam around to different dojos. I'm, I'm sure that's not, not, not what's happening. I mean, I'm sure that her high school coach is, you know, working with her very closely, but still, but still it's um, high school. Yeah, it's a high school. She's not going to have the quality of training partners. Um, and uh, I, I just, who knows? It might be, it might work out better for her. Um, but it, it also might, you know, be detrimental. Who, who knows? And the other thing is, um, there's a very likely chance that, you know, I, I think, well, not, I, I don't want to jinx it, but she, she could get injured, you know, in that, uh, in that time. And then if Asahina's, you know, if, if she's training, like everybody says she is, uh, they might not have much of a chance in that division. All right. So that's going to do it for part one of my interview with Kiyoshi. In part two, we're going to get into more inform, you know, more, uh, discussion about, uh, you know, judo in Japan and, and some of the myths and some of the, just, just different things about, uh, growing up as a judo kid in Japan and, some of the positive and negative things about Japanese culture. So that's going to be next in that in the interview. Actually, you know, honestly, I've already have it recorded, but I I can't just dump three hours worth of audio on you guys. Just somebody like Joe Rogan can, but I can't do that. And I I still got more to cover if you can believe that. Uh, in terms of Judah related news, both uh, for me domestically and internationally, I was forwarded this pretty interesting piece of information as I was editing the episode of this podcast and this is about the United States Judo Association uh, changing their rank requirements for testing and such. 
a listener had forwarded this this email to me, and and for you listening, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, the email goes as far, or or actually the the pre- the release by the USJA goes as follows: After receiving suggestions for our membership and updates from various committees, we are excited to be releasing the new United States Judo Association Judo Rank Promotion System, Judo Manual Eleventh Edition. I'm sure for sale. To continue to be the leading judo association in the United States to remain competitive with other judo organizations, we are making a few major changes to our promotion process. We believe our black belts are more than qualified to evaluate and promote the students within their clubs. Therefore, we have eliminated the CRE program as of October 2020. Now, CRE means Certified Rank Examiner. Right, where was I? Um, eliminate the program in 2020 and all certified USJA black belts will have the authority to promote any active junior or senior Q, Q, uh, USA, USJA member up to one rank below their own. Example, Shodan can evaluate and promote any junior or senior Q USJA member to the rank of EQ. We also believe that our certified USJA black belts are qualified to evaluate and recommend for, for Shodan or any uh, for promotion, any Shodan through Godan up one up to one rank below theirs. We are excited to announce that USJA will also be eliminating the promotion fees for all juniors and senior uh, Roku through EQ promotions. Now, I think this is fantastic for a variety of reasons. The first reason, most importantly, is this this has got to be about the third or fourth time that I have strongly suggested and pushed for something on this on this podcast and it came to fruition. I, the first thing I remember, I remember the JFA out in Australia changing their requirements after I talked about it. And let's not forget, I also pushed for the International Judo Federation to remove its accumulating Wazari scores and go back to Wazari Awaseti Ipon. I was the one that pushed for that on Twitter. I talked to Marius Visa directly about it, and it changed the following year. And now the USJA is changing their rank promotion system to a system that I have, I have always kind of pushed for, but with some caveats. Now, I'd like to say, first and foremost, that I believe that any rank system that any judo organization has must be at a high standard, be fair, and be achievable. But it also must serve the um, the membership of your organization. It must serve them in a way where customer service is enhanced and not disregarded. And And this is what I'm talking about. The person that sent me this message um, about these rank changes, and this is something that I've um, I've heard from other members as well, that they this particular fellow has had to travel over four hundred miles um, to have his test for the rank of EQ. And for those of you outside of the United States um, that live in a country that has the metric system, maybe somebody out in the UK. 400 actually he told me 450 miles that's just about the equivalent of you driving from london to frankfurt germany about the same distance can you imagine doing that just to take a a test for a judo rank i mean i I think that's absurd 
And the reason why this particular fellow and other people like him in more remote areas have had to do that because that's where the closest certified rank examiner has been. I mean, to me, nobody should have to drive six and a half hours or fly that kind of distance to take a test in judo. I, that that's absurd. Who who does that serve? It doesn't. It doesn't keep the 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 standards high, and really, all it does is just discourage people to not uh, test for the for the promotions that they probably deserve. Now, shortly after I received this email, I was on the judo subreddit and I saw that somebody posted um, this same message as well. Now, I want to be clear, the person that posted this on Reddit was not the person that sent me this email. At least I don't think so. But even if it was, it it doesn't matter because when you post on Reddit, for those of you that don't really understand it it's it's kind of like you know like an an old forum of sorts a discussion forum each subreddit has its own discussion forum and and there is a judo subreddit that is um that has many participants i think over you know 76,000 subscribers and there's usually about 100 active people on the subreddit at any given moment so whenever a new post goes up there's a lot of people from all over the world uh willing to give an an opinion on things and i'm you know i hang out there quite a bit um a lot of times in my downtime during work i may you know check it out reply to a comment here and there so i think the reaction by people of those outside of the united states it's it's um actually it's not surprising it's it's expected i i think some of those people or a lot of them feel that that this is just uh, another means of being able to easily hang hand out rank. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Nothing in what the USJA had put out there in this in the statement that they sent uh, has anything to do with lowering their standards of rank, which I think are I think they're quite high. I I've been on record as saying before that you know for somebody testing for Shodan, I don't think you know having coaching or referee certifications at EQ or being CPR certified is necessary for such a a, a low uh, Don rank as Shodan I because I, I just I've always seen student uh, I've always seen Shodan as an advanced student rank and I feel that the USJA has a high standard uh, for Shodan if you look at their requirements I believe they they pretty much require the Gokyo Nawaza and they may even require all five sets of nage no kata. Most most organizations around the world only require the first three three sets. But whatever it is, they're not just handing out rank. And I I believe that any head sensei at any club can evaluate uh, judo rank up to shodan, or at least they should be able to. So I I, I do think that after you know if somebody has I I don't know twenty years in judo. And for whatever reason, they may only be a need on. I would say that after 20 years, that person is going to know, you know, what is the the level of Shodan. And look, I'll come out and say it, and, and I'm sure I'm going to rankle a few people out there, more than a few people with this statement. The USJA is not the same organization that it was in the 70s and 80s, where those freewheeling days where... If you just had the right amount of money and had the right amount of influence, you could you could fly up the ranks. And I know somebody or a few people from that era, 
And some of the stories that they've told me are, are just unbelievable. I, I One story I heard is, is some guy uh, who was a green belt, a Yonkyu, uh, got promoted to Nidon for the right price. But that's not happening anymore. That hasn't happened for many, many years. And I think that if the USJA, if they made sure that all of their um, I don't know how you do it, whether you, you have some kind of an agreement or or any club member that that passes their certified rank examiner course, let's say, and and has coaching certifications. In my opinion, a person that is like that and who is a, a, a need on and, and up should be able to promote people within their own club, especially if they meet all the standards and requirements. And I feel that way because, again, Judo organizations need to do a better job serving their membership. And my God, we're in 2020. Why why continue to have uh, standards and requirements that were created in an era that was completely different? And I think what these changes will do will allow for a new generation of instructors or, or potential instructors. Because, I look, you... You need more black belts out there and you need more coaches out there. And what you don't want to do as an organization is put up roadblocks for people who are or who are capable of being at least a shodan or higher. Uh, people who are capable of that rank and are deserving of that rank. You don't want to put roadblocks there where they just don't decide to test and, and pursue clinics and other things like that because it's too far. And it's costly. I mean, you, so you, you know, you expect somebody to drive six and a half, seven hours. That's like, for me, that's like driving from, from Tampa to Key West. That's a long ass drive. And then they either have to get there the night before, or if they, they drive all that way, they test the day of, and they got to stay, you know, a test takes a couple of hours and they got to stay the night. Um, so you're, you know, if you have a policy like that, you're causing people to incur costs and potentially not be at their best for an examination. So I feel that if a, a club owner that belongs to the USJA um, is is going to be able to promote in their own club, they should they should be a certified rank examiner. They should have a high level or, or a high standard of requirements for showdown and give people the opportunity to test. And I don't know if I can make my point any clearer. This is just about giving the people the opportunity. Because I believe with more opportunity, you're going to have more showdown. And if you have more showdown, you're going to you're going to eventually have more coaches. And if you have more coaches, especially coaches that are looking to open up their own clubs in the future, you're going to have more growth. At least that is the hope. Now... There is one drawback to having such a system like this is that it 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 can create a system of people feeling a sense of loyalty. And the subject of loyalty in judo is something that I'm not even going to attempt to broach uh today. But what happens if if such, you know, in my example, a young shodan um wants to get promoted to nidan because he wants to to eventually run his club? But the person that is promoting to Nidon, well, that's the person that needs to sign off on all the paperwork and, and conduct the, the rank examination. So, and the person hang, um, actually doing the promoting. So doesn't that somewhat create, or couldn't that create a system where 
a person has a feeling of loyalty where it's like, well, gosh, I can't leave now. He just promoted me to Nidon. I mean, you know, I don't know if if something like having affiliations would solve that problem. Affiliations that go beyond the governing body. I'm talking about instructor or club level affiliations. I don't know if that solves that problem, but I do think that is that would be a problem because judo cannot grow if you've got a really high-ranking sensei trying to hoard all of the other high-ranking uh, Don rank holders in their club. And I've seen that happen. And in a country where we definitely need more coaches and more judo clubs, and we need people that, you know, people that are enthusiastic about opening their own club, well, if they feel like they owe it to their head sensei and that culture is created, they'll never leave. I know one guy that did leave, and he was a pretty much excommunicated from that club after dedicating, gosh, maybe 25, 30 years of his life to that club. He wanted to open up his own place of business, his own club, and he actually wanted the club to be a, a, a part of it. And no, he and his family were not allowed back in the club. I, I think that's ridiculous. Now, on the international front, I got a, 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 a few quick hitter items, one regarding the IJF and, and one about the the Pan Ams and also the European Championships. Um, now, to be clear, I'm I'm not going to cover those those tournaments in detail because, quite frankly, I, I one, I, I didn't watch every match or most of them, and two, I just don't have the time on this episode. Um, but the first things first, I wanted to cover some news related to the IJF. They released a press statement stating the International Judo Federation will organize a 2021 Cutter Masters in Doha in the period between January 11th through the 13th. Uh, the top 36 athletes in the world ranking list for each weight category will be invited to participate in the competition. The final world ranking list for the nomination of athletes will be published published immediately after the African Continental Championships. Should the global health situation deteriorate in unexpected ways by the time of the competition, the IJF reserves the right to postpone the event accordingly. And that's um, that's about the Doha Masters, if I didn't say that first. Uh, so it's a go. I mean, for me, in terms of COVID, I just, I think, you know, the IJF and really all sports and as a whole needs to just accept the fact that COVID is a risk that they're going to have to deal with. And... I, I, I'm not going to get into it again because I know I've covered it before, but I, I feel that the athletes understand that risk and they're willing to take that risk, at least most of them, in order to secure a spot for the Olympics. I mean, come on, what? Let, let's be honest here. What makes anybody think that in two months the global situation is going to be any different? I, I don't want to hear talk about a vaccine and stuff. That's just, we're we're very, very far away from that. And look, the European Championships in, in, in the Czech Republic and, and the Pan Ams, um, they took place over this past weekend, and uh, th- there was a lot of people there. Now, with regards to the European Championships, really the only part of the tournament that I watched was the, the final block of the over 78 kilo division. It was really the only opportunity I had to watch any judo action. I just I just been super busy. So I turned I turned on uh, the trusty YouTube or actually I'm not even sure if it was through YouTube maybe it was through Epon.tv or something like that which is basically YouTube <laughs> anyway um, 
I watched the uh, Romain Dico of France uh, defeat uh, Irnia Kinderska of Azerbaijan. That that was a pretty good match. It really the the final block of that over seventy eight kilo division was 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 entertaining for me. Now I was going to cover a little bit of the. Uh, European championships in terms of statistics and number of participants and stuff like that. But to my surprise, as of this moment, which is 8 o'clock in the morning on the 25th of November, uh, judobase.ijf.org is down. I've never seen that happen. It's very, very surprising to me. So because judobase is down, I'm going to give you guys a moment to guess where I'm going to turn to for judo-related news. That's right. Judoinside.com. I'm going to have to check out Judoinside.com to talk about some of the Pan Ams. So I'm going to start with the results for Team USA because you know what? I'm a U.S. American and that's what I care about. So that's what I'm going to do first. Actually, it's not all that I care about. But you know, I'm a little biased toward Team USA. Team USA performed uh, remarkably well at this event. In the under 60 kilo division, Adonis Diaz took second place, uh, losing to Erica. Takabatake of Brazil. Caitlin Jarrell earned a fifth place finish. In the under 73 kilo division, Alexander Turner earned a fifth place finish. In the under 57 kilo division, uh, Leilani Akiyama of, uh, earned a second place, so losing to Miriam Roper of uh, Panama. And boy, that, that's got to be a tough match for her. Amelia Fulgentes also earned a fifth place finish. In the under 63 kilo division, Alicia Gales uh, earned the third place, bronze. Congratulations. In the under 70 kilo division, uh, Chantal Wright earned the bronze. In the under 90 kilo division, Colton Brown earned the bronze. In the under 78 kilo division, Nefeli Papadakis uh, earned the silver, uh, losing to Vanessa Chala of uh, Ecuador. In the under 100 kilo division, you have uh, Nate Keeve taking 5th place, and L.A. Smith uh, taking 7th. It's good to see him competing again after that whole fiasco in Budapest, which was very unfortunate. And in the over 78 kilo division, you have Nina Kutro-Kelly taking a 5th place finish. Now, it should come as no surprise that uh, Brazil, as I'm taking a quick glance at the results, pretty much dominated this tournament, uh, just just had results all over the place. I think I think uh, up to, gosh, some crazy number, like 17 athletes making it up to the, to the top seven places. Um, the other thing that did surprise me a little bit, which was which was really interesting to see, Paula Pareto of Argentina uh, uh, got first place in the under 48 kilo division. And I only bring that up because she's older. I mean, she's 34 years old. And I, I can tell you from personal experience, I mean, things started really going downhill for me athletic athletically uh, once I turned 33. For some people, it happens uh, a lot earlier than that. Now, I'm sure if I tested and measured myself between the ages of 28 and 31, it would have shown some slowdown. But I'm talking about noticeable differences. It started for me uh, right around when I hit 33 years old. So for her to keep, to be doing this in the under 48 kilo division at 34 years old, um, it's pretty impressive. And not only that, it just dawned on me. I completely forgot that she got second place at the, if I, I think so, at the, at the, the recent uh, Grand Slam in Budapest. So... Unfortunately, because uh, judo base is down, I really don't know what her world, her current world ranking is. But 
I got to believe that she's very much on track to to make it to the Olympics representing Argentina. So that's going to be it for this episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. I do plan on having an after party. It, it'll be it'll be brief. But in terms of judo news, it's going to end here. So with that, I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. All right, so the after party. I'm going to start things off in a little different direction, something that I've never done before. I'll just start off by saying this. For those of you who have investments, whether that's stocks, bonds, mutual funds, real estate, whatever whatever the case may be, let me tell you, you need to start going long on crypto. Cryptocurrencies, that's Bitcoin, that's alternative coins like Ethereum, like Litecoin. I mean, there's thousands of digital coins out there, but it's not necessarily the coin per se, but the technology is driving that coin. It's called blockchain technology. I'm not going to get into it here because it, there's no way that I can adequately explain that kind of technology in, in the few minutes that I spend in an after party. But if you're looking for something for some of your portfolio, to be in, in a high risk, high volatility, but a potential for an extremely ridiculously high return on investment, go with crypto and, and find a coin that you like and, and, and stick with it for the long haul. Or as they say, hold on for dear life. And I say this because Bitcoin is currently right about to break, if it hasn't broken already, the $20,000 per coin mark. And let me tell you, I first heard of Bitcoin back, I know it came out in around 2008. I first heard of it back in 2009, um, back when a single Bitcoin was worth $0.08. Cents. I mean, I think to myself, my God, if I, if I had invested $100 uh, at $0.08 cents a coin, I, I, I would have made over $25 million uh, by now. So the potential for the return on investment is huge. But not only that. I believe cryptocurrencies are the future. I, and I tell you what, one, in, at least in the United States, one more government bailout is going to really make the dollar suffer and, and really drive up inflation. I, I just, bailouts are not good. They're not good for the long-term health of your money or really this economy. So I'm telling you, if you want to protect some of your assets, uh, move, it, move it to uh, crypto. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, do some reading and do, do yourself a favor and do some reading. And do you know how you can tell that I'm being sincere about this? Notice that I did not insert any here. Click on my link or use this referral code program. I didn't do any of that because I'm, I'm being sincere here. I'm not uh, I'm not trying to. The only thing I'm trying to sell uh, sell for you is is just an opportunity. Just just some knowledge. That's it. And it's I'm giving it away. So on to more lighter subjects. I'm watching this show on HBO called The Undoing. I think it's called The Undoing. It's with uh, Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. 
I'm not going to give the story away, but I got to tell you, it's really, it's a really good show. It's a limited series, which I don't know about you guys or, or, or maybe it's just me, but I've noticed that a lot of shows lately that I've been watching, whether that be on Hulu or, or on Netflix or, or, uh, like Apple TV and other platforms, a lot of these shows are just limited series or, you, you know, just a six episode thing. And that's fine. But like, gosh, you it, it it's almost disappointing because because like you you watch these these characters, you get really involved in a story and that's it. The story's over. There's no continuation. Maybe maybe we've all gotten spoiled with sequels and 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 you know multiple seasons of a show instead of just appreciating a single movie for what it is just a single story that has a beginning and an end and and you leave it there a perfect example i i love the incredibles i don't think there needed to be an incredibles 2 i i also just finished season 4 of the crown either season 4 or season 5 it was it was a very good season i you know, you know, I don't like when when it comes to politics or I should say when when politics are portrayed in shows sometimes I feel that directors and writers they want to tell a specific story about a a particular political person and they slant um they slant the the coverage and the story of that person in a certain way and I thought I didn't think the Crown's portrayal of Margaret Thatcher, even though Gillian Anderson, my God, I mean, she nailed that voice. I didn't think the portrayal of Margaret Thatcher was was as fair as it could have been. And I'm going to give away a minor spoiler uh, from the last episode, so if you don't want to hear it, just just turn it off. But in the in the last episode, when Thatcher was going to lose uh, the election, it was patently absurd I it was the stupidest thing I've ever seen well I shouldn't say ever the show shows uh Margaret Thatcher asking the queen to disband parliament that never happened and quite frankly I think it's irresponsible for writers to write that kind of stuff about people that are still alive well many of them anyway I mean I'm I don't doubt the royal family watches this show, or, or some of them do anyway. But we're talking about relatively recent history. And and to make up stories like that, it's, it's, just, it's just really bad to me. It, it would be one thing if you're making up characters and you wanted to tell a particular story. Like, like for example, V for Vendetta. Then that all stands for something else than, than what you really just saw on the screen but I feel that if you're going to do a show that portrays actual people, then it's important that you portray actual facts. Even if you want to spin a certain narrative about, you know, whether it's positive or negative about a person, try and be as interesting as possible because the truth is interesting. And lastly, I want to talk about a game that I've been playing on the PS4, which, gosh, I got to... Well, I'm gonna probably get the PS5 in March or, or so. I don't I don't feel the strong need to buy it right now, but I will because uh, because I want it. Um, but right now I'm playing a game called Shadow of War, which is based on the the, the J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings story. 
and it's a fantastic game. I, it's it's not really canon, but the way that they tell the story and the events that happen leading up to the very first uh, Fellowship of the Ring book and movie. Uh, the, the events that happen, you know, w- within the past 100 years in that timeline, the game does a really good job with that story. It's 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 a fantastic story. The game's a lot of fun to play. It's just your, it, it's like a hack and slash game that that has Assassin's Creed characteristics and stuff. I I just love it. I love that game. It's a lot of fun for me. And I also started playing this this game that that uh, takes place in Japan called Persona Five. I haven't gotten very far into that game, but it's a pretty cool game. It's it's like one of those um, games like Final Fantasy, you turn-based uh, adventure. And the story is pretty interesting. Like I said, I haven't gotten too far into it, but it's going to be the next one I play after I beat uh, Shadow of War. <laughs> 